Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by guest speaker Fred Collum. Enjoy. I asked Janet if she would do this introduction because I just met Fred last night. Janet has known Fred for a long time. And so, uh, so Janet. Thank you, Pastor Trevor. Yes, way back in 1998, um, my husband and I, Joe, and another couple, Paul and Sharon Taylor from this church, went on vacation to Mazatlan. And uh, when we got down there, we found that there was a vineyard, La Vina, a little vineyard church that had an English-speaking um, Sunday morning service. So we went to church, and we met Pastor Fred, and we found out that we had this sister church down in Mazatlan. Well, they invited us back to have a tour of the real Mazatlan, because it's not all just the golden zone where the hotels and the beaches are. And they took us on a tour and showed us uh, how they were ministering to the poor in Mazatlan. So we came back the next year. We brought a construction team. They had a a goal and a dream to establish like a community center in a poor, they call it a colonia, like a neighborhood, a poor colonia. And so we brought our construction team down and we, this church actually laid the foundation for that first colonia um, back in like the next year, maybe 99. And we have gone back, uh, we've taken several teams after that, we've taken medical, dental teams and uh, youth teams and that kind of thing over the years. What we didn't know when we met Pastor Fred, was that he had already been in Mexico, in central Mexico, for 17 years before he even came to Mazatlan. Uh, He met Jesus back in the 70s in the Jesus movement and felt the call to go minister in in Mexico. He didn't speak Spanish, but he knew God would cover that. And um, while they were in central Mexico, they after the 17 years there, they planted five or six churches that are still going. Their teams are still going. Now they're going up into the hills where the uh, indigenous Indian villages are, where this fabulous necklace came from up in Zacatecas. And um, so he was there for 17 years. And then now in Mazatlan, now they have 18 community centers planted in these poor colonias. And there's still, there's vision for more. And he is a fabulous leader. These are empowered um, by the Mexican people are leading, and they're bringing um, not just the physical needs, they bring food and medical care and that kind of thing to the poorest of the poor, but they are bringing Jesus. They bring the gospel of Jesus. They, They have education. They have so much. And over the years, Joe and I have continued to go back and um watch what Pastor Fred and his beautiful wife, Aralia, who's back at our table, she's beautiful, have, they just have such a heart, and they've just been so obedient to continue through lots of hardships to minister to the poorest of the poor. So I am so glad. I've gotten to worship. We've gotten to worship in his church many times. I'm so happy to have Pastor Fred. Would you welcome him? Buenos dias. You're now a bilingual church. <laughs> anyway, I'm happy to be here and excited about sharing with you guys. And uh, Joe and Janet have been a huge blessing 
over the years. And sometimes you do something that looks like a little thing that you're doing, but it's like a mustard seed. And so I don't remember what year it was, but, you know, Joel uh, calls me and says, hey, we're coming down. You know, have you heard of Celebrate Recovery? I says, yeah, a little bit. He says, would you like the material in Spanish? I never turn free stuff down, you know. <laughs> it could have been, would you like a just do-it-yourself rocket kit to go to space? I'd say, yeah, ring it down. I'll take it. It's free, right? And so, uh, so they brought it down, and we've been doing it ever since. And we already had uh, two or three psychologists in our church, and I knew it would just take off like crazy. And so that's been a huge blessing. And also, they were there, like they mentioned, they dug the foundation on our very first Colonia Center. And I didn't have a clue we'd have 18 someday either, you know. Just God just kept working and working and doing stuff. And so they've been, been a huge blessing. They also gave me a great book. They were reading a book about uh, left brain, right brain, and how we need to have more right brain activity and di- discipleship. And so I said, oh, I'd like to ha- have that book. And so Joe, Joe had his copy, and he gave it to me. And so uh, inspired by Joe giving me that book, I'm going to tell a joke. It's a grandpa joke, so you have to be 70 or over to tell it. But I'm not a good joke teller, but I want to do right brain thing, get you, you know, happy. So, so anyway, grandpa's getting pretty old, and he has to move in with one of his sons, who has a couple of uh, young kids, eight or nine years old. And, and so one uh, morning, he's seen uh, one of his sons uh, having a long conversation with grandpa. And he wondered, oh, what's going on? They seem to be connecting there. And so a little bit later on, he says, son, what were you talking about? And he says, oh, grandpa was telling me how much he knows God is with him all the time. God is with him. And he says, really? In what way? Well, grandpa says when he gets up to go to the bathroom at night, as soon as he opens the door, God turns the light on. And the father says, oh, no, grandpa's peeing in the refrigerator again. So... (laughs) You're safe, Joe. It went over. So. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'd like to do three things this morning. I need to check the clock. See, I forgot exactly what time we started, so they give me is it half an hour or, or two hours. I don't remember. But <laughs> I'll split the difference with you. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I'd like to comfort you, challenge you, and encourage you. I hope I can do those three things this morning. So go ahead and put up the uh, PowerPoints there. And uh, some of the things I like to talk about is life's challenges. And I wasn't sure about the title. It was either life's challenges or God ain't done with you yet. And so just take both or whichever one you want. And so the challenges we have in life is there's things that you don't control. Okay, we had a pandemic hit us. We had no control over anything. And we're all in survival mode. And so that happened. And, but then uh, also, we have bad decisions that we make. I've been really good at that over the years. <laughs> I'm trying to get bad at, at not doing it so much. So, but I've, I've done that a lot. And so it's going to be encouraging. I'm not going to beat you up because of all your bad decisions. And, and then we have expectations that don't line up with God's plan. And sometimes when they don't happen, we're upset and we're ticked off and wonder what's going on. And then sometimes there's expectations that do line up with God's plan. And we had some in the COVID come in and temporarily knocked them all out. And we actually wondered if some of them were, would happen after that. And so it's been tough. So I'd like to start in Luke chapter 24. If you would turn there in your Bibles or in the notes there. 
Luke chapter 24. And uh, this is a story most of us know that's been Christians for a while. And this is after uh, Jesus was crucified, and they still don't know that he's been risen, that he's alive. And so in verse 13, it says, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. It's always good to ask questions when you read the Bible and then look for the answer, see if there's an answer. And so the the first question is uh, about them recognizing him. It says, uh, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't, uh, he was, he's, walking along with them, but uh, they didn't really recognize him. But he's walking along beside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And the question is, was it, it don't really say, it doesn't say God kept them from recognizing him. Now, he idealed his physical identity, but his presence was there. It wasn't hidden. The presence was there. And so they didn't know, didn't understand that, but I want to jump ahead to verse uh, 32, I believe it is, uh, on the notes up there. Uh, and so as they're down the road after they, they see that he uh, becomes clear who he is physically to them, then they, they uh, ask each other, were not our hearts burning with us, within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? So they were feeling the presence of Jesus, but they didn't know it was the presence of Jesus because their own expectations had kept them from believing that. But he was still there with them. He was walking along beside them. And you know what? He's been there all the way through the pandemic. Sometimes you haven't recognized it. And you wondered maybe where's God at? And, and uh, you know, you're feeling depressed and other things and you're isolated. He's there. He's still, he's still there walking. So let's, let's go back. Uh, and he comes up and said, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Uh, they stood still with their faces downcast. And, you know, they call it body language. We have body language. Our bodies are yakking all the time, you know. You know, roll our eyes, you know. And if you've ever been in a long session where somebody wanted to talk to you, maybe Pastor Trevor's had this happen, and, and, and you want to take a peek at your watch, but you don't want the person, you don't, when, you know, you wait until they're looking away. You try, and then with me, I've got to pull my sleeve up, so I always get caught. <laughs> they look at me before I get the sleeve back down, and they get the message. They kind of look at you, and they're saying, oh, your body's telling me you've had enough for today. And, and uh, of course, we will lie and say, no, that's not true. Uh, just <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> we don't want to offend anybody. And so our bodies are always talking, and so, man, their body language, their faces are downcast. And one of them named uh, Cleopas asked him, uh, I want to ask the question first, who's that guy? How do you get in the book? Who is that guy? I got my concordance out. You know, I can't find him anywhere. Nowhere's mentioned. We don't know who he is. So he speaks up, and, and there's, there's two of them, and the other one isn't even mentioned. And so that's a question to ask. Who is this guy? Well, we don't know. That's the answer so why is it there? And we'll get back to that in a second. And so, uh, you know, he's asking, are you the only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know what things have happened here? Uh, 
these days. And so Jesus asked, well, what things are you talking about? And so he starts, uh, starts up a conversation with them. And then they begin to tell him about Jesus of Nazareth. And they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Have you noticed what was missing from this list where they're talking about who Jesus was? You know, there are certain things they couldn't deny that couldn't be changed, you know, like prophet, you know, uh, you know, blessed before God and, and all those things, uh, powerful in word and deed. Those were truths that didn't change with his death. But the word that is now missing because it didn't fit their expectations of what they thought it would be, the word Messiah is no longer there. They're no longer at this moment seeing Jesus as Messiah. And so they're disappointed, they're depressed. All their dreams and hopes have been smashed in, in, in an instant. And they don't know what to do. And they're, they're, they're suffering. And so, so why is this story in here? And we'll find out a little bit ahead as we read on. And they talk about the chief priest and rulers handing him over to be sentenced to death. And they, had, uh, they crucified him. But here's four words that express what most of us went through, through the pandemic, or if you got the uh, COVID as I did, the four words that kind of described it, it, but we had hoped. We had hoped. And not just in COVID, there's been times in our lives when we had really hoped for something and we thought it was going to happen, and it didn't. And we've often become, become depressed. Uh, years ago, I started, as uh, Janet mentioned, in the state of Zacatecas. It's a very difficult place to uh, spread the gospel. Very hostile people lived under death threats for, for years. And so we'd been there about three years, and it was 1981. And we had planted uh, our second church, and we're getting ready to do a third plant. And so we have a trip to the border. Back then, you could only get a permit to be there for six months, and you had to go out and come back in and not talk Spanish because if they found out you were a missionary, they wouldn't let you in. And, and so, and there's no way in those days to import something into Mexico. So we had a really nice PA system we're bringing in. It's all hid. And, and, and our, our hope was to uh, get a favorable border crossing, and we hoped to arrive at our house early that afternoon. And before we got to our home, about a few miles out of town, and I, you know, I, I didn't share this for 40 years anywhere, and a couple of years ago I shared it for the first time. And but I think you probably need to hear it to encourage yourself. And our lives changed in, a, in a, just a closing and an opening of the eye. And we're on our way. My wife at that time, our three-month-old daughter and another missionary were with me at an extended cab truck. And and we were loaded up with stuff that we had gotten across the border. We're happy. We're almost home. And all of a sudden, we get hit head on. And uh, go show ahead and show that. That was a truck. <clears throat> and it hit on my side, and it, it, it pushed me in and broke the seat off and pushed me into the back. And so I didn't know at the time, but I, everything was shattered, all of my bones. And yeah, the whole frame was, was bent. And uh, they told me that the motor, the truck that hit us, went flying down the road. It was such a violent crash. And uh, 
my three-month-old daughter uh, was severely injured. I didn't know how bad at the time. And so we end up at the, in the hospital. And I didn't know if any of them, if the missionary, I thought he was okay because he was on the side that had less impact. And we were, I was in emergency room. I didn't know where my daughter was at that time or my wife. And, and, but they were surrounding me, and they were, like, cutting my clothes off. And I'm in extreme pain. And I didn't know what to pray, so I began praying in tongues. And I was praying in tongues, and, and the doctors, I don't think, they, they probably thought I was speaking English or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, severe pain, you can't even imagine the pain that, that I had. And so I'm, I'm praying away, and all of a sudden I hear this voice. It wasn't an audible voice, but it said, everything's going to be all right. And so I paused, and I started praying again in tongues, and then I heard it again. And all of a sudden, I began to feel this, this peace, like it mentions in Philippians, uh, this peace. I mean, you can't imagine worse circumstances. I, I'm thinking my daughter might be dead already, and she was just about dead. And with all that happening, this peace that you can't explain, it was so powerful. And it come over me, and I felt so at peace and rest. I couldn't believe it. And I closed my eyes and, and then I uh, wake up the next morning and I'm in a body cast in the hospital there and in severe pain once again. And, uh, you know, didn't know for a while. My, my daughter was barely, barely hanging on. And this was like 40 some years, about 40 years ago or so in Mexico. And the medical gap between us and them at that time was huge. It was huge. And now it's a lot closer. There's a lot of good medical tension, but not in those days. And uh, so I had somebody call these uh, doctors I'd worked with in Mexico doing clinics, and they got my daughter out. And, and then they, without me asking, because we were broke, didn't have money, didn't have insurance, and, and they sent a plane up in big enough to haul us out as well. Uh, to San Antonio, Texas. And so it'd be five months before I would get back to Mexico. And we had hoped to get in early that day. And we're just getting ready. Our third plant, we were excited. Boom, it's over. And I didn't know it'd be five months at that time. I didn't know if I'd live for a while. And five months later, walking on two canes, making my way back to Mexico. And you know what? And I, uh, I suffered because of a bad decision somebody else made. But you know what? When I, we went back, went and visited the guy, told him, we forgive you. You have to forgive. I don't even remember his name anymore. If I hadn't forgiven, I'd have remembered his name. I'd still be talking about him. And suffer. So you have, to, you have to forgive. And maybe some of you have suffered because of someone else's bad decision. It don't matter. God can bring, bring you back. And it, it looked for a while like my career was over, but we hobbled back in, and uh, uh, the devil had a few surprises waiting for me after I got back. I don't have time to share this morning. Uh, but uh, a few years later, God began to do crazy good stuff in my life. I don't have time to share. I mean, it's some incredible stuff. I'll probably share in the, the next meeting a few things. And uh, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have gone back. And people were telling me, you're not going back, are you? Don't go back. 
why would you go back? And, well, you know, God hasn't told me not to go back. You know, I need to go back. And then as a result of that, God did some incredible things. You know, if you forgive people, even when you're wronged in a bad way, this changed our lives forever. I've never been the same. You know, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, used to say, uh, never trust a man that uh, doesn't walk with a limp. And it was a play off uh, the Jacob wrestling with an angel. I've been walking with a limp ever since the, <laughs> the wreck, so you can trust me really big time. <laughs> and so God began to do some, some great things. And so if that's you, you're one of the people I would like to pray for along with the team here this morning when we finish. Uh, you're one of them. And if you haven't forgiven, you need to because not forgiven keeps you tormented. And you don't want to be tormented in your life. You want to be free because God ain't done with you yet. But you have to get rid of that stuff and God's going to use you. Uh, so, but we had hoped. And there, there's other things as well. Uh, years later in the year 2001, I had another... In, this time it wasn't physical like a wreck, but it was almost in a sense worse. And I ended up so depressed and uh, my ministry was attacked and different things. And I, I was so depressed I couldn't preach for months. And I was just hanging on and I developed severe sleep apnea. Uh, nearly died a few times. I'd constantly waking up without, a, without breath. And for months I slept in the chair setting up. And uh, because of this attack and uh, upon my, my life and ministry, and it was really bad. But, you know, Paul had written to the Corinthians, when we are weak, then we are strong. So it don't matter. People are going to do stuff to you. But you know what? We also, we also have done stuff to other people. Always keep that in mind when you're thinking about what they've done to you. You've done stuff. may not have been as bad, but we've all done stuff to others. And so I was so down, I could barely just function. And mostly I was actually worse than from the car wreck. And I remember one day, I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but at that time we just had that one uh, feeding center going, maybe a second one we were starting, community center. But I was just, I was out of it. I was out of the game. I was on the bench, on the injured reserve list. I wasn't doing anything, and, and I didn't think I was going to survive. I thought I was going to die from the... I didn't, I didn't know what sleep apnea was at that time. Never heard of it. But one day, I, I just prayed, and I said, God says, I got nothing to give right now. I got no vision. I got no strength. I got no desire to do anything. So I'm empty. I says. I've had nothing to offer. But I said, if you want to use me, here I am. When we are weak, we are strong because we're so desperate for God. And I didn't expect it, but very soon, shortly after that, I started coming out of the depression. I still had the sleep apnea and eventually found out that I needed treatment for that. But God began working and all of a sudden, I had this vision to have 12 community centers in Masatlan. And people were telling me, you're crazy. How are you going to do that? I mean, I think we might have been working on our second one, possibly. And no, it's going to happen. God's going to do it. I really feel it. And then the short version here is, uh, yeah, God did it. God did it. Not only did he do it, 
I was asked to speak at a big assembly where the governor of Sinaloa, the state, was going to be present. And uh, out in the audience, they were going to bring a wireless out, and I was going to give the governor a greeting and something, uh, you know, to Masatlan and all that. And, and so just on the spur of the moment, I'm, I'm walking out of the office, and I stop, and I tell uh, one of our secretaries in the office, say, write me a letter of invitation to the governor to come to our church on such and such date, and that we're going to celebrate having our 12th feeding center built. And so she did that, and, and, and so I'm greeting him, and I send the invitation up with somebody, and he goes up to the podium, and he says, I'm coming to your church on that Sunday. And not only did he come, he brought his whole cabinet with him to the church, to the Vineyard Church. And I, I almost repented when I'm there. You have to be there early. They said uh, the head of security would be by early. And they pulled out a big truck with a machine gun on it in front of our, our church, you know. And then, then they says, okay, we need an escape plan in case something happens. It was in the, when the, everything was really hot with the cartels and everything. And, and it's really, you know, hasn't been anything going on in years of months a lot now. But it was right at the peak of it when it was really bad. And I'm thinking, can I uninvite the governor today? You know, we're all going to be killed at church. So. So, you know, not a way to get people to come to church. You got a new guy coming. What's the machine gun for in case they come in and try to kill us all today? They'll kill them first, hopefully. So anyway, not, don't put that on how to grow a church seminar. You know, isn't it amazing the gift of laughter you can suffer? And then you can retell it and laugh. It's a gift of God. And because I can't tell you how horrible it was going through the wreck and the other incident, but it was. And then uh, just uh, recently, the most recent disappointment, and uh, it was a child orchestra that we had started about uh, close to two years before the pandemic. It was really doing well. We had 32 kids that had never uh, owned an instrument in their life, living in shacks out in the colonias that Janet mentioned. And so they're learning to play, and they're doing little performances here and there. And, uh, man, I was excited. We're going to start two more orchestras. And we had momentum. I had people wanting to send instruments, and the lady from the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra was coming down and helping teach. And, man, we're, we're all on a roll, and the pandemic come, and boom, it stopped in its tracks. So and that's a little girl. That's the day that uh, we give out the instruments. And... When the dust settled from the pandemic, we found out out of 32, 20 kids were gone. The parents had to move the pandemic to find somewhere relatives could feed them or work. And, but this is the orchestra when we were just the first few months getting going there, and they're all taking their lessons, and we we're so excited. And it just it ended so quickly. And... But when we restarted, we found it out, and no, but we, we're getting the vision back. It will come back. This was a God thing that was, was happening, and it got stopped just like that, like everything else. And so now they're, they're going to be playing in a famous theater in Masatlan. It was, used to be the ballet theater uh, in the 1800s, uh, famous theater. They'll be playing there June 21st if you want to come on down, take a little vacation, and you can hear them. And so there's always disappointments. I was so depressed about that. I was 
going so good. But now we're starting to think second orchestra again. So we're bouncing back. So you'll, you'll bounce back. And so I'd just like to close with a couple of verses out of, of 1 Kings, if you will turn there. And I did a study on uh, David some time back, and I, I did it backwards. I went from, uh, from the end of his life back. And at first I got so depressed because I realized I was a lot like David. Not the giant killer, David. Mr. Bad Decision-Making David. I realized I was too much like him. And for a while it depressed me, and then it encouraged me because Mr. Bad Decision-Making David built a dynasty despite all of his shortcomings. And so I come out of the depression, but we'll just read verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And the context is David's on his deathbed. He's just about dead. And then before he dies, he's still alive, barely alive. Then now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggai, put, her, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. And then I love what the author did here because the author wanted to make sure he pointed out that this was a problem of David's own making. And despite that, God took care of him in this last big battle that he had. It was his fault. And, it, it, you know, I'm so glad this author included that in his parentheses. And it says his father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? And he, he never intervened. He just kind of let him, he says he did, never interfered, period, in anything. Just let him run wild. So he was a bad father. But being a bad father, God didn't count it as a sin. Now, there's a line, though, if you cross it. You know, David didn't beat his kids, didn't mistreat them physically, but he was a bad father. God didn't count that as a sin. Now, if you cross that line and you're actually physically and, and verbally destroying your children, yeah, you're a bad sinning father. But many of you... And I have to put myself on that list, you know, not really bad, but, uh, you know, I was kind of somewhat bad in, in my working so much at times and planting churches, and, and sometimes I did forget about my kids. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you were the bad, bad dad, and it come out more during the pandemic, or maybe you're a bad mom, and it come out. Maybe you're a bad husband during that time, or a bad wife. That's Okay. God wants to restart you and re-energize you, so, so, so take comfort. And so in, uh, in 2 Samuel, there's an interesting verse that really got my attention uh, some time back when I was studying this, and this may be how you feel at times. And so David is stating, And today, though I am the anointed king, I am weak. He's the anointed king, and he's weak. Now, there are three anointings, anointing from the prophet, uh, from the tribe of Judah. Then he, there will be a third anointing where we, he'll have the big victory. But right now, he is weak. But what is it when we're weak? We're what? We're strong. Makes no sense. How does that work? Yeah, Jesus come around, turned the world upside down. Yeah. How can that be like that? But... I am weak. And these sons of Zariah, 
are too strong for me. He had some of the wrong people on the bus. I've been known to do that off and on. I hope Trevor hasn't ever done that. You probably never have, you know. But I've got some wrong people on the bus, and, and at times it was, uh, I have been too quick in the past, you know. Oh, yeah, you want to work for the Lord? Yeah, come on, you know. <laughs> got work for you. And uh, sometimes I found out there's the wrong people on the bus, and it was real hard to get some of them off. And so David, he's weak, but yet, out of this weakness, he builds a dynasty. Think about that. So he was weak, but God is not weak, and God continued to work. And now the last verse here. I don't remember. I think I have it on the notes in in Luke uh, chapter 5, but I really, I just noticed this just a few days ago. And uh, this is when... uh, They'd been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. Uh, Luke 5, chapter, verse 5. And uh, Jesus comes along and, you know, says, uh, uh, you know, go let down your nets again. And, and so they did that. There's uh, so many fish. They, they couldn't believe it. They knew it was supernatural. It's way impossible to happen because they would fish at night because the fish can't see the net coming. So it's daytime and Jesus is telling these seasoned fishermen, you know, uh, hey, Cast a net, you know? And so they do, and it's so supernatural that when it sinks into Peter what he really is, and it says, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Maybe that's how you feel about yourself. Sometimes, you know, I don't need the devil. I can beat myself up pretty good without the devil. So... And, and it's true. He's a simple man. But in Jesus, instead of saying, hey, yeah, Pete, you're a really mess. I'm going to straighten you up, though. And, you know, I'll work on you. You're a mess. But uh, I'm strong. I'll take care of it. What's he do? He gets a promotion in, uh, later on in the, in the verse 10. And, and Jesus said to Simon, hey, don't be afraid. Don't worry about it, Pete. I know who you are. Yeah, you're a grumpy old fisherman. You're a sinful man. But don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Or some, I think the King James says, I'll make you a fisher of men. And so if you're somebody who beats yourself up too often, don't matter. Jesus is saying, forget about it. I want to use you. And so in closing, I would in particular like to encourage those watching by streaming to be open, to let God and the Holy Spirit, which is present with you, to minister to you where you're at. And I also want to give you a word of encouragement. Long before there was a, the vaccine was done, uh, one of the scientists, not a Christian guy, and he's talking, and he says, I think he's with the CDC, and he said there's an irrational fear about the COVID, and it's so high beyond what is normal fear. And it was true, I mean, and he explained, you know, the people that were really in danger and how small that number was and how big the number that was not in danger of dying. And I think there's people, they didn't get the vaccine, and they still have this spirit of fear on them. We're going to pray against that before I hand it over for these guys to come up and move into ministry. So if you've got the vaccine, especially if you have the vaccine, Get back here to the building because you need to be in fellowship with these folks. And there's somebody here that probably needs a word from you Sunday morning. So 
your body of Christ. And we're connected. And you've been disconnected a long time. Get back. Get rid of that irrational fear. If you, even when you have the vaccine and you're still running around like you're going to die. So get back. They need you here. There's a lot of empty seats here that need to be filled up. We're wasting our money buying chairs and nobody uses them. So, <laughs> so please come back to church. You're needed here. So I just want to pray against that irrational spirit of fear that we have. And then Trevor and you guys come up and then move into ministry time, ever how you're going to do it. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, the risen one from the dead, it conquered death, the hell, and the grave that has the very keys of, of hell in his hands, a maximum authority over everything. We say, Lord, you are our Savior, you're our Lord, you dwell in us, and we come against that irrational spirit of fear that is dominating our thoughts with worry and concerns that should not be. And we just say, in the name of Jesus, be lifted off of everyone here present and those that are out watching from streaming, let it be lifted off of them. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. So... You guys come on up and thank you, Fred. Fred and his wife Aurelia um, have offered to to just uh, be present to pray with people today. Uh, Aurelia speaks Spanish. Um, and so if you are a Spanish speaker and would like prayer uh, in that, in your native uh, tongue, uh, she would love to, to uh, pray with you in that way. But I was just sitting back here listening to, to Fred, and I've been reflecting on this passage that um, came up during our time of, just, you know, we have a, a time of prayer. Uh, it's actually Sunday through Thursday over here in the auditorium in the mornings. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And the other morning, um, it was actually Brent was leading, and Brent led us in a song. And it was, and he, before he got to that song, I'd actually opened up my phone and I'd looked up a verse because I just I was struck by the fact that we're supposed to build our lives on the character of who God is, uh, not on our own character, but on who who God is. And so it was this song about the graciousness of, or this verse about the graciousness of God. And then Brent actually began leading that song, and it was like this you know, divine moment of like God was doing something in both of our hearts. But you know, the, there's this revelation of God that comes in Exodus 34, and it's at a time that's a pivotal moment in Israel's history because they've just been called to be God's people. They're about to enter into this covenant relationship with him and, and be his unique people through whom he's going to advance his purposes for all of creation. And in that moment, as, as they have this, this uh tremendous blowout. They have this major failure. And even as, as uh, Fred was talking about the fact that was, as people, we're not perfect. We, we do make mistakes. And they had a national mistake on a national scale. And in that moment, God gave Moses a revelation of his, of his character that was to be the foundation of Israel's life moving forward. And this passage actually becomes the most, it's a revelation of God's character that becomes the most quoted uh, scripture in the rest of scripture. 
Because throughout the history of God's people, whenever they found themselves in trouble because of their own failure, because of uh, personal failure, because of national failure, because of the things going on in, in their time, in their place, they would go back to this revelation of God's nature and say, okay, God, this is what you said about yourself. Let our lives be built on this foundation. And so this is from Exodus 34, and this is Moses asking God for a revelation of his nature, and this is what God said. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And he goes on to talk about how he, he's, he's a God of justice and so he will satisfy justice. But his invitation is that we would stand on the foundation of his nature, his character, his goodness. So I just want to invite you this morning, if you're on campus here, would you stand with me? And um, I just want to declare that that revelation of God's nature over us, that we would let our lives be built on this. And there's times when we do come back to God and say, okay, God, you're, you said you were a God of merciful and gracious. Would you extend that grace and mercy to me today? Would you extend that to my family? Would you extend that to our, our city, to our nation? God, we want to see you. We want to see who you are in our time, in our place. Today, Fred talked about forgiveness and the invitation to, to be free by forgiving those who have hurt us, those who we've, we've held something against. And I just sense that was a word that, that we need to actually pray into this morning. So I just want to invite you to, to close your eyes. And I want, to pray, I want to read that passage over us once again. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to to let this be a declaration of the foundation of your life. And revisit this foundation. What does it look like at this time, this moment in your life, to allow, uh, allow this to be the foundation? And there may be places where you recognize, I've not been living this from this foundation. I've been, very, I've been living from other foundations. And now's the time to ask, Holy Spirit, would you reorder my heart? Reorder my life, that, that my life would truly be built on the foundation of who you are. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebelliousness, and sin. Heavenly Father, today we build our lives on this foundation. Lord, as we, as we ask that you would forgive us for our shortcomings, for our failures, for our our sin, for those times we failed our families, for the times we failed one another, the times we failed you. Would you make us clean? Would you wash us clean? 
We ask that you would break the power of sin and break the guilt of sin, the shame. Would you renew us? And as you forgive us, would you help us to extend forgiveness to others? Even as you taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. ask for the grace to receive your forgiveness, to let the foundation of our lives be your nature, not ours, to be your faithfulness, not ours. Would you restore, refresh, renew, Lord Jesus, would you give us the grace, the empowering grace to forgive others? Or we ask for this freedom. are going to lead us in one last song and as they do that um, I just want to invite you if you would like prayer this morning um, beyond just you know we've just done time of body ministry here just together receiving receiving God's um, ministry ministry of the Holy Spirit and we also believe that there's that, that there's there's something special uh, something's imparted when we um, pray over one another where we can uh, lay hands on one another. So if you're here on campus, I want to invite you to, um, if you'd like prayer this morning, to just come down to one of the front rows up here. That's a good way to let us know that you'd like prayer. And we have a prayer team that would like to serve you in that way. We have pastoral team. We have Fred and Aurelia are here today and would like to pray for you. And um, if you're online, uh, we have uh, people online that can pray with you. We also have an email, prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if you send uh, an email to that prayer with your phone number, we will call you and pray with you um, there. Sometimes we have that disappointment in relationships. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Sometimes in, you know, job choices or even when we step out for God and things don't seem to be going the way we thought they were going to go. It wasn't supposed to be like this. And yet God 
is a redeemer. He's a redeemer of our disappointments. He can restore fresh vision. He can comfort your heart where there's been loss. Um, and so if that resonates with anyone here, we'd just love to pray for you. Loss, forgiveness, the hurt, the disappointment, because they, as Pastor Fred said, God is not done. He is not done. He has more for you, and He has more for us. And so um, there's always future, and there's hope. That's who our Jesus is. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.